When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We want to get people back to work. We've got to be paving the pathways. It is up to Congress to kind of set the rules of the road, but you have to wonder what Facebook's final objective is in that. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. If they just simply reopened the economy and returned everyone back to work, we would be, I think, in a better situation today. Washington may squander its best chance to make long overdue investments in our infrastructure. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. One year to the day until the 2022 elections. Pinch me. And as the White House begins the big push on part two now of President Biden's economic agenda, new polling numbers show his approval rating sinking to a new low. And voters preferring Republican congressional candidates over Democrats if the midterms were held today. We'll talk about it with the pollster behind the numbers, David Paleologos, back with us today from the Suffolk University Political Research Center. Later, Speaker Pelosi promising a vote on reconciliation next week, maybe as early as a week from today. As some members demand specifics, including CBO scores, we're going to talk about that whole process with Douglas Holtz Eakin, president of the American Action Forum, former head of the CBO. And the panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzana with us for the hour, along with Lester Munson, principal at PR firm BGR Group. We are live from Washington this Monday, and it's still hard to believe that after talking about it for months, it actually happened. The infrastructure bill passed. Were you awake Friday night? It was like a Friday night news dump the White House could have only wished to stage in the light of day, but, but pass it did, with the help of 13 Republicans, I might add. The squad, not so much. But President Biden says this is what people want, not just, well, improved infrastructure, roads and bridges, but progress in Washington. He talked about it during a news conference at the White House. The one message that came across was get something done. It's time to get something done. Stop, y'all, stop talking. Get something done. A news conference dominated by Bloomberg's Anne-Marie Hordern, I might add. Even Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell had nice things to say about the bill. I was delighted that the House finally found a way to pass the infrastructure bill last week. I think there may be a way forward, not only in Kentucky, but across the country, to deal with these long-standing infrastructure problems. Whew. Rainbows and unicorns. Until you look at President Biden's approval ratings out early today from Suffolk University for USA Today. They show President Biden with a new low in this poll of 38 percent and a lot more where that came from. We're joined to talk about it 
with the man behind the poll. David Paleologos is director of the Suffolk University Political Research Center. David, welcome back. We last spoke on Election Day, and you started running this poll the day after. As I read, the infrastructure bill that just passed Friday, we should start there, got pretty big marks, adding to the conventional wisdom that maybe it could have helped Democrats on Election Day. Well, that's a great point. You know, the poll was fielded, kind of nestled in between the elections on November 2nd and the passing of this legislation. So I think we recorded probably Biden's worst of the worst in terms of the timing of the poll, but you can't really control events. But one thing we noticed here is that the the hard infrastructure bill is supported by two to one in terms of the people, the same people who gave Biden low marks and approval. We only had Biden at 38 percent approval mm-hmm. and 59 disapproval. But those same people gave uh, extremely high marks to the hard infrastructure bill. You know, we've got a 61 support, 32 oppose. So wow, how about that? I guess it stands to re- yeah, of course. I guess it stands to reason that that uh, connecting Biden to this this legislation will be helpful to his approval at some point. But in this snapshot, you you look further down the line here, and only one in four uh, say the social spending bill, the the reconciliation bill would help them and their families. And that is a huge disconnect. And that starts to explain that headline number. And that's a branding problem because, you know, when, when you, when you, when we asked about the soft infrastructure, the reconciliation bill, only 47 supported it and 44 opposed it. And, and people were not connecting the bill to whether it would help or hurt. More people said it would hurt them or have no effect. So, so Republicans are winning the messaging war on inflation or just overall spending. The Democrats have gone wild kind of message from the other party. And and education. You know, Virginia really education and health care have always been the two strong posts that Democrats at any level could stand on. And now education and, and parental involvement mm-hmm. in curriculum at various school districts has been taken away from from Democrats, at least in Virginia and potentially in other areas. We're talking with David Paleologos from the Suffolk University Political Research Center. Vice President Kamala Harris does not look good in this poll. You think 38 percent is bad for Joe Biden. Harris's approval rating 28 percent, a 51 percent disapproval of the job she's doing. Uh, what's she doing wrong, uh, David? I mean, we're talking about the vice president here is making the president look good. As far as Kamala Harris goes, number one, she has not been visible, you Mm. know, and the only time she was visible was last Tuesday or before the Tuesday primary saying how Virginia is going to be important to set the stage for 2022 and 2024. So I think a lot of people, you know, we had 12% 12% of people saying not sure here, you know, I mean, these are, these are numbers that don't speak well for the vice president. The one takeaway I had from this poll, when I looked at all the numbers, because Biden numbers are just really bad here is if you're a Democrat, if you're a prominent Democrat, why wouldn't you try a primary against president biden if he were to decide to run again because 
You know, even <laughs> Democrats are saying they, they don't want him to run. A lot of Democrats are saying they don't want him to run in 2024. And I couldn't help but think, you know, and I don't know names, but I couldn't help but think if you're a, a you know, a Democrat that 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 uh, is well financed and matches up well with somebody like Biden, because, look, yeah. Biden won with a big field, just like Trump won his primary with a big field. But neither were tested one on one in their respective primaries. So right, and you don't have I to don't worry about it. a Kamala Harris administration apparently at the moment. Uh, no. Yeah, pretty pretty amazing the the number that did not want uh, Joe Biden to run for reelection in this poll. But I do want to ask you about the midterms because that's what this whole conversation is kind of leading to. We're one year out to the day, as I'm sure you've been reminded, David Paleologos, and you're showing numbers here that say more voters are prepared to vote for a Republican congressional candidate than a Democrat. It, this is a major finding. We have a Republican you know, winning this question by plus eight. So a generic congressional question is basically, who would you like, who would you vote for in your own congressional district in general um, without assigning names? Mm-hmm. This is a question that usually is a layup for Democrats in national polls of registered voters because National polls of registered voters are based, are based on the proportion of voters from states. So states like California have a huge proportion of these national polls. And, they, you know, California is very Democratic. Yeah. But the fact that when we polled, all, all, you know, all of the states, where when you add it all up, more people are saying Republicans. And this is kind of what we saw on Tuesday with Virginia and even a close race in, in New Jersey and then some other selected areas. So that that finding obviously is something that the Democrats have to be thinking about. Forty six percent to thirty eight percent. Those surveyed would vote for their Republican congressional candidate over the Democratic one. And we just heard That's a couple right. of days ago, less than a week ago, David, uh, from Kevin McCarthy, who would like to be holding the gavel. Uh, as the next speaker. And that, of course, is its own question here if if Republicans take the majority. But he said they could win even more potentially than the 63 seats uh, picked up last time around in in the midterms. That would be quite a sweep. Absolutely. I mean, you know, this is really what midterm elections are all about. And and right now, I mean, you know, for, for Kevin McCarthy, he wishes this poll came out next October. Yeah, right, well, that's right. The midterm elections. But, you know, there are there is a silver lining in the cloud for Democrats in a couple of areas. Number one, Democrats have time. They have a year, as you pointed out at the outset of this piece. They do have a full year to to think about retooling, you know, rebooting, rebranding yes. and, and, and all of the above. And they also have the template that Republicans are going to use. The Yunkin template, the Yunkin template of taking advantage of Trump support without using Trump visibly and then running up margins in suburbia among parents on this issue of education. That template was successful in Virginia, but it's been revealed. Sure. They have time to regroup and they'll have something to show for themselves, uh, David, in our last minute. If they get the full economic agenda through and maybe even come back around for some more stuff of reconciliation next year. While that could potentially backfire, they'll have a lot more to show for two years in power. Yeah, you know, they have to they have to talk more about health care. They have to grab back the ed- issue of education and empowerment and not alienate, uh, you know, themselves with with parents and hope that the economy stays strong and inflation doesn't get out of control. 
David Paleologos just won the election for you. You're welcome. The director of the Suffolk University Political Research Center. 38%, that's where we stand on this 8th of November, one year out. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Headline on the terminal, Bill can revamp construction sector. Do you read this? Stocks across the industrial spectrum. You've heard Charlie referring to it through the day. Electric vehicle makers to construction companies outperform the markets today. After what I read here, the long-awaited infrastructure bill cleared the house. Yes, it happened late Friday night, early Saturday morning. Now, that's the kind of news this White House wants to hear. But will it be enough to change the political landscape we just discussed with David Paleologos? Let's talk about it with the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano is with us, along with Lester Munson, principal at BGR Group, former staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, former chief of staff for Senator Mark Kirk of Illinois. Thanks to you both for being here. Jeannie, I hope you were awake when this happened Friday night. You deserve to be awake I to watch will... it all happen. Of <laughs> I... course, a lot of people were not, though. And I wonder, what does this White House have to do to sell people on what just happened? Never mind, get them to want more. Yeah, Joe, I have to tell you, I, I was awake. I was I was celebrating. I, oh, I know, you, you know, I know you were celebrating then getting ready to go. So get some much needed rest. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I do think obviously they have a big job ahead of them selling this. And I think it's important what what Dave, what David was saying, which is that the poll they took happened at to land at the worst couple days for the Democrats, which Seemed was like the day after the election, November 3rd through the 5th. And right before they had really two very good things happen on Friday. One was the impressive job numbers, which we should not overlook. Mm -hmm. The other was the passage of the infrastructure bill. So they've got some momentum there. They have to have the, you know, the push to let the American public know what they have done. And it was a bipartisan bill. And it is about something that we all need. I was thinking about you talking about Biden being at the portal bridge in New Jersey, you know, this 100 year old bridge where they're using hammers, you know, 15 percent of the time to, to you make it operate. We yep. all have those in our states and our neighborhoods. This hard infrastructure bill is much needed. Uh, you know, we've been waiting for it a long time and it is up to the administration to go out and sell it. They've now got a little bit of breathing room on the human side of this, but they've right. got to sell the hard infrastructure and they've got a year to do 
do that. Well, you got Mitch McConnell out there for crying out loud, helping to sell what just happened. And that's a different story than the other half, even though it's not really half. But you know what I mean in terms of the reconciliation bill. I am I am reminded, Lester, of a conversation we had the day after Election Day on this broadcast with Representative Morgan Griffith, Republican from southwestern Virginia, who said if they had passed that reconciliation bill, Terry McAuliffe would have lost by even more, maybe five more points. And he was making a point there. I don't know if there's a lot of science behind it, but that people were turned off by the idea, never mind the action of spending that much money. After spending the passing the infrastructure bill Friday, do Democrats risk undoing that good with the reconciliation bill? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, I think it's a it's a I disagree with uh, the congressman. Um, I think this is this is what normal American voters were looking for from the Biden administration when they elected him president a year ago. Mm-hmm. They were looking for someone who would do sensible things. It seemed like that his predecessor was not doing sensible things. This is uh, having an infrastructure bill that that fixes roads and bridges and deals with lead pipes that we that seem still sensible to you. have in our water system. That's a sensible thing. This is what this is what folks were looking for. That's why it's bipartisan. It's more bipartisan in the Senate than it is mm-hmm. in the House. We can talk about that if you want. But it is definitely a bipartisan initiative. It's a problem for the for the kind of the Trumpy right and then also for the progressive left to some extent. So Biden's got some challenges here on how he's going to sell it because there's a lot of Democrats, particularly on the left, the progressives who think, fine, you can have this. But what we really want is the Build Back Better bill, which is three trillion, depending on uh, what Joe Manchin decides. Uh, that's that's yeah. a real dilemma. Is he is Biden going to triangulate or is he going to double down on this infrastructure? I kind of hope for the latter. I think that'd be better for him. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. It's interesting, Jeannie, when you see all the issues inside this uh, potential reconciliation bill, whether it's paid leave child tax credit, some of the other issues that we talk about every day around here, they actually poll very well individually. It's this idea of this massive, comprehensive piece of legislation that starts to make a lot of people worry. It, it does. It, it's And it's a piece of legislation that is not fully paid for, at least as, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think Democrats have to be cautious on this. You're right. The parts are very popular, whether it's family leave or, or almost any of the individual parts. The problem, I think, for the Democrats and what I would advise Joe Biden to focus on is he needs to look at the issues people are dealing with now. That is gas prices. Those are those kitchen table issues that Youngkin yes, right. talked about so successfully in Virginia. It is the supply chain that may keep people from having their Hanukkah or having their Christmas. It's pending inflation that's got people worried. The economy remains the number one issue on people's minds. COVID is actually receding a little bit as the nation starts to open up. So Joe Biden has got to get out there and say the infrastructure bill, hard infrastructure, was an investment in the economy, much needed for us to compete with China. And we're going to keep doing more folks on inflation, supply chain, gas and those things and let Congress figure out what it's going to do on human infrastructure. And oh, by the way, the debt ceiling. (laughs) That little thing. Yeah, that too. That's coming. Lester, less than a minute left here. Was it good politics to hold off on signing the bill? So the president could do a big public signing, remind people it happened, maybe do it even while the sun was up. I, I think so. I mean, he he needs all the good news he could get. His his poll numbers are are not strong. He need he needs he needs to be doing the basic blocking and tackling of politics. So yeah. yes, he should. That's the kind of thing he should be doing. The House is on recess this week, but we are still in the bubble. 
And in just a week from today, the House will return. Democrats get to the actual job of writing a comprehensive bill, this reconciliation bill, the build back better thing you've been hearing about for weeks and months. Speaker Pelosi, as part of the big infrastructure vote on Friday night, made a deal to vote on that bill uh, by the 15th, the week of the 15th of November. So the clock is ticking here as moderates in the House, moderate Democrats, demand a score, a CBO score, and, well, something they can actually read and put into the printer. And somebody who knows a little bit about the CBO is Douglas Holtzikin, president of the American Action Forum, former head of the Congressional Budget Office, Douglas, it's great to have you back. Can they get this done in time? Uh, Only the CBO knows for sure. Um, Certainly they have been working with the Congress continually for months, and so they are familiar with the kinds of proposals they've got in mind, and Mm -hmm. they've seen drafts of earlier versions, and they've uh, done work to figure out what they cost. But the real uh, subtle part is that uh, once you get the final legislation, sometimes they don't draft it the way they think it's going to work, and you score what's written down, not what they hope. Yeah. So they're going to have to read the whole thing. That takes a lot of time. Then they'll have to figure out what they've got. And then, then the last part that, that people don't often appreciate is these proposals uh, often interact. So you've got a child tax credit. You've got paid family leave. You've got subsidies for child care. What am I going to do? And And so people – uh, when they see one program react uh, one way and and influence another, so they got to put them all together and see what they've got. Can they so do when, it? Sure. Will they do it? I, I don't know, honestly. Okay. When, when you're the head of the of the CBO, it's something big like this. You know, it's coming down the pike. Of course, you have other things you're yeah. working on. I'm sure. Is there a big all staff meeting? You know, oh God, the the BBB arrived. Everybody, we're breaking into groups. Here's much time we have. How much time we have? What does that room look like, or am I just completely over-dramatizing this? And how big is the team to get all this work done? Uh, CBO is about 230 people. 190 of them have advanced degrees. They're expert across the the spectrum. And anything you want to know something about, there's someone on CBO knows more than anyone else. And And everyone gets pulled into this when a big piece of legislation lands like this. No one one escapes. They're going to work night and day. And, and, you know, they, they know when the deadline is for vote, when the Congress comes back, and they're going to try to meet that. Is there a Does lot of calling back and forth with the leadership, with the authors of the bill when there are questions coming up? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, you you know, you need to have a piece of bill text that you're scoring, and it's one that they're going to vote on. Those have to be yeah. the same piece of paper. So if you find things, you're telling leadership right away, you got a problem. This is what we're reading. That's not what you said. Mm-hmm. Is that what you mean or, <laughs> or not? And then – they go back and they consult, you know, and, and honestly, there are a lot of games that get played with CBO. They, people are always blaming CBO because they don't have the score done yet right. and they don't have a deal yet. Right. And sometimes they will promise a member something knowing that when CBO scores it, it's going to cost hundreds of billions more than they than they can afford. And then CBO comes back and they make them the bad guy. Oh, we wanted mm-hmm. to do that for you, sir. But, you know, well, those things. So that's going to go on. This is thankless work. About it. But there are, and lawmakers are already worried about how this might not come out the wash the same way it goes in here, right? There are concerns that the CBO will not score this the same way that leaders have promised, including this idea of increased IRS enforcement. Uh, there's the concept of dynamic scoring, a lot of things that don't play out the way lawmakers want them to. The, the, the basic fact is that CBO owes its existence to the fact that Congress didn't want to trust the administration's numbers. So starting in the mid-1970s, they, they established the CBO, so they had their own numbers. That means there's a big history of them not matching, and, and it's a fair concern to, to expect that CEO come down differently than the administration has. Sure. 
And then, of course, that'll you know get its own spin when it, when it comes out with lawmakers, oh, yeah. or or does it force redrafting in the process? Uh, it's, they'll continually redraft. I mean, we know they've been redrafting all along. So you know, Thursday night they changed the tax provisions. They voted Friday. If they start scoring it and they find something that isn't going to work, they'll change it again. Yeah. Um, this is all about getting to yes and getting 218 uh, Democratic votes when push comes to shove. And so they'll change what they need you to get there. We're talking with Douglas Holtzikin here on Sound On. I have to ask you, because you spent so much time in this world, about more news from the Fed today while you're with us. Just curious your thoughts uh, in our last moment here. News that Fed Governor Randall Quarles will step down uh, the last week of December giving President Biden another vacancy uh, to fill here. Uh, you know, I guess, you know, some presidents get the Supreme Court, some presidents get the Fed. He's going to have quite a mark on this body. He, he will have the potential to have quite a mark on this body. Um, but I confess I've been a bit mystified so far. They've had an opening for a while yeah. and haven't filled it, and I expected them to. I don't know why. Um, they've held off on making an announcement on the next chair. Why is that? Do you think he sticks with Jay Powell, would? just kind of run out the clock? My, my personal opinion is that he should and will, but I don't have any inside information. Um, you know, sure. we'll, we'll see how this plays out. Um, and, and all of this comes at a time when the Fed is is in a tough spot. I mean, the the administration's big trillion two trillion dollars stimulus in March generated inflation, and now the Fed is stuck in the crosshairs. And so that's a that's a tough position to be in when you're not fully staffed and you don't have uh, clear leadership. And you're a White House once again, a Democratic White House. Uh, with uh, quite a bit of distance away from progressives on this issue who would prefer that the president fire the Fed chair with the language that we hear from uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, for instance. This is going to be a whole other stare-off, I guess, going into the new year. Um, certainly there's a big division in the Democratic Party. The president has to deal with that all the time. That's 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 part of the turf of being in the White House. Yes. Uh, I will say the question is not, is there someone the president can appoint who the progressives might like. The question is, is there someone who can get confirmed that right. the progressives like? And that's the test. Speaking the language of Washington, Douglas Holtzikin, president of the American Action Forum, with us on Sound On. Love conversations like that. All these uh, guys and gals with the, with the green visors who have to figure this out. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Headline on the terminal, quarrels to exit Fed at year's end, handing another seat to Biden. Indeed, the news came today, a bit of a surprise. Then again, Quarles just ended his four-year term as vice chair of supervision, so there were some folks, I guess, who saw this coming. Could have stayed on as governor till 2032, so he's out a decade early. When you look at the scorecard here, then, President Biden gets to fill this seat, plus vice chair Richard Clarita's term as governor expires at the end of January, there's an open seat on the board, as we just discussed, with Douglas Holtz-Eakin. And then, of course, Chair Jay Powell's term about to expire. Joining us to talk about all this, Jesse Hamilton, Bloomberg financial regulation reporter here in Washington. Jesse, put this in perspective for us, a major impact for one president. Yeah, that's right. I, I, it marks a, a bit of an end of the era for uh, Trump administration big bank watchdogs hmm. uh, with with Quarles, who, who was a, uh, a veteran of the Carlisle Group, uh, much like uh, Fed Chair Powell was, uh, he was generally thought to be a, a guy with Wall Street's best interests in mind. And uh, he's uh, stepping out late next month. So as you say, that's it's going to leave quite a few positions in play. And, and his departure particularly uh, 
is, is something that was a bit of a question mark. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know for sure whether whether he was going to, to move on now or not, but he did recently lose uh, his, his expired term as vice chairman for supervision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was already sort of sidelined as a, as a, a Wall Street regulator. Uh, and and he was uh, was just just a governor at this point. How does President Biden handle this? We've already got one open seat on the board. He doesn't seem in in, in much of a hurry uh, to deal with any of them. Are we going to have some morning where all of these nominations are made? I think we might. Uh, it's it's certainly a frustration for those of us who who are watching this, this closely. Now I, I did have a chance to speak with uh, with uh, Governor Quarles earlier today. And, uh, and and did try to ask him uh, whether his departure was uh, in any way connected to a plan, um, and he uh, he wouldn't uh, wouldn't rise to that. He, he uh, basically just indicated that he, that he was leaving on his own terms. Um, uh, as I said, he's you know his his uh, term recently expired for for his vice chairmanship, and he's soon to be uh, expiring. Uh, and his, his job as a head of the Financial Stability Board, the international body. So he's saying that it was his own reasons for leaving. Um, but we're, he was we're, the we're first vice chairman for supervision, right? He was the first he was, in this job, even though it came from Dodd-Frank. That's um, right. It was sort of a, a long-awaited uh, hiring. Now, there, he, he did have a bit of a predecessor uh, in Governor Daniel Tarullo, who never held the, the vice chair uh, title uh, officially, but um, so is this going to be a specialized hire? Does does the president need to hire someone to be vice chairman for supervision beyond you know having a governor sit on sit in that job? Oh yeah, I, I think definitely uh, this is going to be somebody who has has some some serious uh, level of experience, uh, you know, in in and might then curry favor with liberal members of Congress, for instance, who want to see someone who can crack down on Wall Street. Uh, there's going to be a lot of a lot of pressure on this this person. I suppose so. Jesse, I appreciate you jumping in to, to talk to us about a breaking story here from our D.C. studios. Jesse Hamilton's Bloomberg Financial Regulation Reporter. And I wonder how the, the panel feels about all of this. It's not the first time we've discussed this, although we add another. Uh, Jeannie Shanzano is here in Lester Munson. Jeannie, uh, it's an opportunity for this White House. How do they play it? It is an opportunity. And, and you know, I, I do agree with, with Doug Holtz, Eakin, that I, one of the, the sort of co- things that has been sort of a major question is why this is taking so long. And then today you get another one. Right. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, I do think that the president has some challenges here because he is getting pressure again from the progressives on particularly Jay Powell. They obviously Elizabeth Warren has made it clear she finds him dangerous. She won't support his nomination. Yet you get moderate Democrats who have come out publicly and said he would make he he should be reappointed. And of course, Republicans. And the problem for the president is which direction does he go in? He does have a little bit of room, perhaps, because he's got now a number of seats that he can fill. Um, But the real question is he doesn't want to put somebody up who can't get confirmed. So he's got to not just listen to what the progressives want. And, you know, another thing that we should keep in mind, you also have people like Sherrod Brown who are raising the question of diversity. Um, You know, there should be diversity on the board and there really is not. So that's something else that the president certainly has to listen to. Lester, how much of a puzzle is this to solve for the White House? Do they do this all at once? Do they kind of pick through each position, beginning with figuring out what in the world to do with with Jay Powell's situation. A lot of people think he'll be renominated, but 
This is obviously uh, this potential for risk or reward here, uh, the way the Biden administration goes through this. Yeah, I, I agree with Jeannie on, on all of her points. And I think this is like a Rubik's Cube, except you have to do it in seven seconds. Right. You don't want people to be looking too closely uh, on top of all the stuff she mentioned. The administration is trying to sell a, a healthy economy to the American people. Biden's numbers are really low. They think he's um, Americans think he's mismanaging the economy. They're literally out there today saying uh, the economy is doing quite well. It's growing. Wall Street's at an all time high to then have a slate of uh, folks for the Fed who are going to light Wall Street on fire seems like it really goes against that argument. So I think there's there's a real dilemma for the White House. They're going to have to come up with a package that satisfies the, the middle of the road Democrats who are a real force in the Senate, Manchin and others. Uh, get a little Republican approval, and then also find something for Elizabeth Warren and the far left who have, have indicated they they need some chips here. So it's it's going to be a tough thing. They're going to have to do it real fast, maybe faster. So you than think they all come out at once? Nominate everybody in one I, news release. I think I think it'll be a staccato kind of. Uh, yeah. we're we're gonna we have a a, a solution that, that should work. And everyone's going to have to compromise a little bit. That's their best shot here. The good seat about having three seats here, I guess, Jeannie, is that you can kind of try to make everybody happy. That's right. It does give the president some breathing room here to give everybody a little bit of what they want. And nobody gets everything they want, right. as, as, as seems to be what happens in Washington. But, you know, the president is going to have to, um, I think, or should look at this as a real opportunity as well, because he can really put his stamp not only on the Fed, but also show the American public as he's out trying to show that he's addressing economic issues, that he is making sound decisions in this regard and that he has, you know, his stamp on this. So I think it does give the president an opportunity if he doesn't go too far to, you know, either side. Jeannie Lester on the panel here. I want to ask you about one more story while we have a couple of minutes, a a big story that broke today. And it's not, in my opinion, it's not getting nearly uh, enough attention here. The kind of action uh, going back to where we started this hour that could potentially help the administration help its credibility an actual response. You hear the, to this Russian-based ransomware attack, a roundup of five suspects, arrest and indictment and reward for more information. This is the uh, the Revel hackers connected to Russia, and it was part of a, a deal between the United States. European authorities rolled this out as well as authorities uh, in South Korea. This is the kind of stuff people were waiting for after the first G20 meeting. Jeannie, we talked about it. You know, where is where is the response here when when the White House talks about this like an act of war? Shouldn't be we shouldn't we be responding with as much emphasis here? This is kind of another news release that floats out from the White House. How do they sell the message on stories like these more effectively? Yeah, and you're right. This has not gotten the coverage it deserves, and neither has the fact, and I thought this was so interesting, that CIA Director Bill Burns was in Moscow talking to Vladimir Putin, and this issue came up, obviously, as Mm -hmm. a major issue that they were talking about, not just on on the buildup on on the Ukraine border. And and the president did say, although, again, it didn't get a lot of coverage, that it was the same message uh, that his CIA director sent is the same one he gave to Putin on this issue 
value on ransomware and that they, the people who were offenders would be held responsible. Well, today they are being held responsible, and this is critically important. I mean, we're just hearing that about another ransomware attack. Um, you know, they're coming every day, but, you know, I think they have to have a twofold strategy. They have to find people. They have to hold them accountable. They're also going to have to make strides in how to address these before they happen, and that's where we're not seeing as much action at this point. The Attorney General Merrick Garland declined to say, by the way, whether the Russian government condoned or was even aware of uh, the attacks, Lester. But as a foreign policy expert, isn't this also the kind of headline that this White House should be seizing on to, to help its credibility? I don't know how many people heard about this today, but a lot of people were asking about what's Joe Biden going to do when that ransomware happened? Yeah, I think this is a good news story for Joe Biden. I think the, the American national security infrastructure that deals with these kinds of attacks is much healthier than people realize. Our capabilities are quite good. This administration has made the decision to go ahead and use them. Thank goodness. Uh, the, I think the previous administration started in that direction uh, after some reticence from uh, the Obama administration and previous presidents. So this is good. This is forward-leaning. This is demonstrating effectiveness. It's badly needed because in the absence of it, we're just this, this problem will grow and grow and grow. If, as we start to respond, you're going to see more of a deterrence effect happening. Uh, and so I, I think this is absolutely something the administration should be bragging about. They have very good people in these positions. Jen Easterly at CISA, at Homeland Security, very good appointment by the president. If the reward generates more information, Lester, should this administration show a more meaningful response in terms of a counterattack? I think so. I think, you know, we have capabilities to, to handle these kinds of attacks more than yeah. uh, more than has been made public. It sure and seems like it. If we're going to call this an act of war, maybe we should handle it like one. But nice to see the wheels turning on this, at least five individuals in trouble and a reward asking for more information. Jeannie Shanzano and Lester Munson with us today from the PR firm BGR Group. Great to talk it all out with you, and thanks for being with us on a Monday edition of Sound On. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how? At thehartford.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.